Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and CMA markets. It's Tuesday, August the 30th. I'm Caterina Dassier. And I'm Giulia Rusconi. And coming up this week, the head of EMEA Creative Research, Nur Sehur, will discuss the key takeaways from the cash flow and legal analysis we published last week on German real estate company Adler, which has also published its earnings today. Caterina will catch up with reporter Lucia Kambler on the testing, inspection, certification and compliance sector, as well as a few other summer deals which have kept direct lenders busy. Senior reporter Beatrice Manfrolion will tell us about UK food retailer Iceland, whose bonds have declined since mid-August. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience. So please take a moment to complete a short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. So Adler, it's not the first time we are um, talking about the German real estate group and our audience would know a lot about it by now. And today Adler has reported its second quarter earnings and a big takeaway from the call was that the group has been unable to find an auditor. Noor, can you please elaborate on this and what it means for the group? Yes, Julia. Adler confirmed this morning that no audit firms applied to become its auditor in the tender process completed by the group. Adler will now be reaching out to individual auditors directly. Uh, Inability to find an auditor would jeopardize the group's chances of any future refinancing. In addition, at least four of its loans with LLBW and Commerce Bank have a right of termination with this regard. Although at the moment, these lenders have agreed waivers till April 2023. And uh, Reorg has also published a very comprehensive cash flow and legal analysis on Adler last week. Uh, What were the key takeaways from the analysis? So the two main takeaways from the analysis were, first, Adler Group could run out of liquidity in 2023. Adler's liquidity is heavily dependent on the completion of Group's guided project sales, which have just become tricky to complete in a very challenging real estate market in Germany at the moment. Second, um, Adler real estate bonds are quoted about 20 points higher than Adler Group bonds, despite very limited protections against value leakage. There are no restricted payment and asset sale covenants in Adler real estate notes. Adler real estate notes just have one maintenance covenant, which is 1.8 times interest coverage ratio. Even with that covenant, Adler Real Estate could make 2.7 billion of disposals with no repayment of debt and still maintain compliance with that covenant. That is a huge value leakage risk. In addition, Adler Group has also initiated a squeeze-out process of Adler Real Estate minority shareholders. If the group decides to merge the two entities into a single entity, the bonds of Adler Real Estate and Adler Group could become peri in contrast to Adler Real Estate bonds being structurally senior at the present. Um, given that the group's liquidity position looks tricky, has Adler started any negotiations with bondholders? And what do you know about the bondholder groups? Mm-hmm. During the call this morning, Adler Group confirmed it has started to engage with bondholders actively. 
there are two bondholder groups at the moment. Uh, one is represented by Hengler Muller and the other one um, by KNE. The Hangler Group holds about 3 billion out of over 4 billion euros of group's outstanding debt. Adler has been having regular discussions with this group and will be meeting them in London next week. The Kirkland, Kirkland Group, on the other hand, consists of more Adler real estate bondholders. This group is considered more aggressive um, and has had some miscommunications with Adler in the past. Adler said that they'll be meeting this group uh, at, at some point in September. Thank you very much, Noor, for, for the summary. Hi, Lucia. While the private debt market has been quieter than usual this month, we have seen a few topical deals being completed this summer. We wrote about one this morning. Could you please tell us um, a bit more? Hi, Kat. Thank you. Today, it was announced that the sponsor Oakley Capital has acquired UK-based testing inspection certification and compliance company Fena Group and its peer CTS Group. In July, we already reported that Fena was working with Julian Loki to explore a sale. The group was expected to be marketed of more than 60 million EBITDA. This includes the company's latest acquisitions. Meanwhile, Clearwater was advising CTS of 10 million marketed EBITDA and the sale was expected to launch before year end. It is interesting to see these two companies being acquired from the same sponsor since the auctions were different. But it makes sense given that both operate in the Testing Inspection Certification and Compliance Sector or TICC. And uh, Lucia, can you tell us more about this sector and the enterprise value multiples? Yes, sure. The global TICC market is worth over 200 billion and it remains highly fragmented with the top 10 groups accounting for only 12% of the market, according to Oakley's press release today. The market is forecast to grow at over 5% yearly, driven by regulatory trends, increased outsourcing and exposure to growing end markets. Customer demand is typically non-discretionary due to mandatory testing requirements and customers are highly loyal. Sources Reorg spoke to noted that valuation multiples in the TICC market range from low double digits to high double digits multiple. The sector is popular among sponsors and direct lenders due to its buy and build strategic nature and that it has attracted high leverage levels up to 6.5 times. And what about leverage levels and enterprise value multiples in other sectors? Well, for example, in the UK, some credits in attractive sectors have been able to achieve good terms. Certification company Amtivo has been a topical name in the space of direct lending. The company was acquired by Charterhouse Capital Partners for a 173.4 million enterprise value based on a 17 times EBITDA multiple and a 10.2 million EBITDA. Direct lenders competed in a debt process run by debt advisor Tomorrow Partners. And finally, Bridgepoint Credit provided a 65 million unit tranche financing leverage at 6.5 times with a margin of Sonia 6.625% to back the private equity buyout. And Lucia, you mentioned the UK, but what about other regions? Well, recently we have covered the Spanish plywood board producer group Carnica, which secured a 272 million debt package. 
to refinance its existing debt from ICG's acquisition in 2016. The refinancing process run by Marlboro Partners started after the sponsor pulled the, the sale, which was run by William Blair, as energy and raw materials prices began to soar. The new debt includes a seven-year bifurcated 180 million term loan B with a blended margin between 5% to 6%, a six-year 47 million term loan A, a six-year maturity 25 million RCF, and a six-year 20 million acquisition capital expenditure facility or ACF. In this case, the combination of lenders and banks provided the new facilities. Spanish debt funds Tresmares, Oquendo, Alantra, alongside international fund Amundi, and bank lenders, which include ING, Santander, Sabadell, CaixaBank, Deutsche Bank, and Caja Rural, participated in the deal. I had a call with senior reporter Beatrice Mavroleon to discuss why the bonds of UK food retailer Iceland have declined since mid-August. Here is what she said. UK grocer Iceland's 2025 and 2028 notes are both about eight points down from mid-August, yielding about 16% and 13% respectively as a result of spiraling energy costs, other input, input cost increases and inflation impacting consumer spending. Last week, Moody's downgraded the company and its outstanding senior secured notes to B3 from B2, with the outlook on all ratings changed to negative from stable. Iceland's focus on frozen foods and its dependence on freezers mean it has been impacted by rising energy costs to a more significant extent than other supermarkets. And the fact that the company's target market is lower income households makes, makes it harder to increase prices. On the earnings call for the company's fourth quarter, which ended on March 25th, management gave a preview of energy costs for the first quarter, which ended in late June, saying that these had had seen a 19 million pound year over year increase. This, mean, this means that on a, in, on a yearly basis, if energy, energy prices remain at current levels or higher, Iceland's total energy costs will be at least about 100% higher than the 70 million pound recorded in the year ended in March. The company said it has implemented an energy hedge of almost 50% of its full year energy needs, it told analysts on the call. However, buy-siders have expressed concern regarding the group's exposure from the unhedged portion of these costs. The group had a one point, uh, had one hundred fifty five point three million pounds of cash on its on its balance sheet and an undrawn twenty million pound RCF as of March twenty fifth, and does not face any major near term maturities. Um, which, on a positive note, means that if energy prices don't remain at current levels for too long, the group will manage. However, the company's EBITDA margin, which was 6.3% for the fourth quarter, but 3.8% for the full year on, a, on an adjusted basis, has always been slim and is likely to see further compression of coming quarters. The company may also face an erosion of its market share over the next, over the next few quarters, particularly to Tesco, the market leader in frozen foods in the UK, investors have said. However, the location of most of Iceland's stores in city centres, unlike the larger format Tesco, which are typically located outside of city centres, will support demand for Iceland's products. 
net leverage for Iceland was relatively high at 4.9 times as of uh, March 25th before supply finance. And with EBITDA likely to fall with higher costs, this will most probably rise over the next few months, which would make refinancing challenging considering a possible EV to EBITDA ratio of around 6.6 times. As we mentioned last week, on September the 13th, UK time, Reorg legal analyst Shan Kereshi is hosting a webinar on the impact of Hoost's restructuring plan. You can register to attend the webinar or on our website. You can find a library with all the recordings of our webinars on Reorg's public website, reorg.com slash resources slash events. More information on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.